Hi, Jeremy. Hey, Raf. Hey. Hey. How's it going? How, how's your health? <laughs> uh, it's pretty good. Been trying to take more eye breaks. Oh but, yeah. Yeah, my eyes been doing all right. You said oh. you were installing a Sonos uh, setup. Yeah, it's part of my audio focus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As we discussed. It was a Black Friday purchase. Sonos doesn't normally go on sale, but it was like 25% off. How so what I? what part of Sonos did you get? Well, I already had like a beam, like a sound bar for the TV. Yeah. And so I added like two stereo rear speakers, like, and yeah. then a subwoofer called a, like a mini sub they have. Yeah. So it's yeah. Like so my, my, my ongoing struggle, uh, the story of my life is uh, aesthetics versus information. Mm-hmm. I see the two as diametrically opposed as as enemies, and um, part of that is that entertainment is squeezing its way into music listening and uh, mm. replacing music listening basically. And so you see that in audio equipment, and um, you know there's only so many hours in the day, and how much of that is podcasts, and how much of that is pure music listening, and mm-hmm. uh, surround sound one- podcasts. And so we're, we're contributing to that problem right now. Well, I mean, we can, by recording this, oh, it's just information yeah. noise. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's not like going to be optimized for surround. This is not spatial audio. Like, uh, <laughs> But now I'm... No. I'm I, it I is a stereo. Listen, I can listen to Dolby Atmos audio, which is somewhat spatial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there's like even more spatial audio that... Is ridiculous. I think where they, you know, they place like the saxophone in the ceiling, <laughs> the drums yeah. are on your feet. Oh and... yeah, I, I think in the seventies they tried the quadraphonic speakers. So it was the idea that that would be better than stereo. And mm-hmm. I think Led Zeppelin had an album where you would hear a helicopter fly around you in the room if you had mm-hmm. four speakers. And you really have to focus though. Like that's I was just testing it out, and I was like, oh yeah, it is different. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but I'm just like well, focus on it. it. It's always, I mean, we did so many movie reviews, so I won't tire our audience with our movie observations. But um, going to the theater, of course, there you, you have the optimal setup and, and mm-hmm. the earth earth shaking bass and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. I went to see Napoleon and uh, me too. Oh, you did. Oh, cool. What do you think? Yeah, Re- quick review. Quick Mini review. review. <laughs> did you see Phantom Thread? Before this, uh, what's Phantom Thread? Is that like a? It's it's Paul Thomas Anderson film about a oh. fashion designer in the fifties. No, I haven't seen it yet, but I, I do. Want okay, to see that, yeah. well, that's the better movie, and this is a a, a weak copy. But this even is Ridley Scott. I know, but it's about a man and a woman in a strange relationship and the power yeah. dynamic. And Phantom Thread is, I would say, okay. at least a hundred, if not a thousand times better. Wow, I really did like Joaquin Phoenix in this movie, though, because he's played. Always... He was so funny. I, yeah, I, I agree. He, he he was funny at points, but I do think he often portrays... So it, did you see the Johnny Cash film that he made? Yeah, yeah. Walk yeah. the Line? I think in both movies, he seems a little bit like a pushover. Like he's disinterested, kind of? Yeah, just not passionate. And I feel like Johnny Cash was not someone who would take no for an answer. And in that mm. movie, he felt like... And same with this Napoleon. He seemed... He didn't seem like a... Like a visionary in this movie. It's Interesting. Just like, yeah. I like the like his kind of tone because I imagined myself being Napoleon like as I was watching the film and being like, This is exhausting. <laughs> and well, he really maybe, does you know play yeah, that. You know? I think there is something about I heard this theory that 
to be a movie star, you don't have to be a strong personality, but you have to be the ultimate projection screen where people can project their personality onto you. Mm, interesting. And so maybe he fills that role very well. Maybe I'm a Napoleon, like a ego with a shallow ego kind of person. Well, we all know that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm the I'm the social do good, and you're the ego, mm -hmm. egoist in this. Podcast. Anyway, I, I did enjoy it. I, maybe I, like I also, don't. You, you think know. it was a little bit of a? Well, it felt like a streaming movie, even though it was in the theater. Well, it is a streaming movie. It's Apple. Yeah, but it. it I, I don't know what it is. They have more money than regular movie studios and somehow the movies feel like straight to video even if you see them in the theater sorry if there was a noise my cat tried to get on the keyboard oh. yeah I, I i get that like i've been to several movies recently it's like amazon presents i was like wait a second why did i come out to this? the other <laughs> thing is you've been in the theater and i'm sure you've noticed that like they'll do these trailers before the movie they're like it's so much better in the theater i'm like i'm already in the theater you got me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. Here in Calgary, there's like 10 people in the theater. Like this was a premiere I know, it was weekend for Napoleon. For <laughs> like, I, I have to say, I think, so uh, it's the Regal Theater at Essex Market. And you, you can book your ticket. And there was like one room with seven times in the day, 11 a.m., 3 p.m., whatever. But I wanted a specific time at 4.30. And I book it. And it was like a separate entry in a different room. And it turns out it had subtitles. And I think the movie theater added the subtitles and then recompressed the movie because it looked a little cheap, but mm. maybe you saw the better version. I don't know. but I it, doubt it. I mean, yeah. like, but I was like, how can, it, they must have spent, I don't know. I, I, I know, I tweeted I'm this confused. thing like last week because I, I went to two movies in a row and then I realized like no one was there and that movie theaters are like the mainframe computers of our generation Like because yeah. everyone's creating little theaters but at home. I do have a, a, a something to say. Okay. I love. <laughs> you can say whatever you like. I love the underdog moments of any infrastructure. I loved yeah. flying during COVID. It was amazing. It was, mm -hmm. The airplanes were ten percent full. I like when you go to a restaurant and nobody likes it, but you know it's the best. When you when you found that hidden gem, and oh, yeah. I think movie theaters are in a similar space where it's like, hey, people don't even know how cool this is. And yeah, yeah. no, I'd I, much I, rather I, have yeah. that than. Arriving at the theater and they're like, sorry, it's sold out. We only have a seat in the most right seat in the in the front yeah. of the screen. Yeah, for the last two movies I've seen, we've sat like dead center in the theater with like yeah. no so one it's, around. It's us. glorious, <laughs> but it, it it's funny how at times in history certain things seem miserable and they're actually a better experience. The same with people always like, oh, we need to have more visitors in the museum, and I'm like, no, museum should be empty. I mean, if you had a mainframe computer all to yourself, you'd go wild too. You'd, you'd just be like running calculations, 1970. <laughs> or look at that. Like I, I put my shopping list on it. <laughs> um, do you know the, the artist Harold Cohen? Mm, I don't think I'm familiar. No. So he was very early in the 60s with a, a sort of form of generative AI to create um, computer mm. compositions. And then he made paintings out of those and... Um, I saw Christiana Paul, the, the curator of the Whitney, and she's working on a show of, of, of his. Of his, and so mm. they had to go through all his notebooks to recreate the software. But there are all these handwritten pieces of code that sometimes weren't able to run at the time. Computers weren't fast enough, and uh, so she said it was a very challenging show from a software point of view. But they got to. It's mm. going to open in February, but it sounds are amazing. They, are they running it with emulation or? I think so, but it, he also made a lot of paintings. It's nice that there's software, mm -hmm. physical. Like he, oh, yeah. he predates all everything that we're going through. Of like 
What do you do with a computer when it becomes a painting? Like he figured all that out decades right, and ago. Right, we just keep forgetting the same old lessons yeah. over and over again. Yeah, and mm. then we go He's through like, the NFT, struggle. Stupid. Like, <laughs> yeah, we can, we can't make objects. We're digital artists. Oh, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. No. That's cool. I'm. Uh, I, I would look forward to that. I could yeah. And see that show. You're, you're planning. Cool. You might come to New York in January. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. It's Mexico or New York. What do you think? <laughs> mm, better tacos in Mexico for sure. Kristen and I need a break, so we're trying to figure out. Uh, I will be in a break from your lazy life. I'll, yeah, exactly. I'll be on the East Coast uh, starting from the nineteenth. Um, but uh, in in Toronto, some, you mean? I'll do some time in Toronto, then DC. Okay. And then the question is whether we go north, whether we come to New York, whether we go to Atlanta because there's some friends there, or Mexico. Kristen's like. Shopping for Caribbean vacation. She's very tired. She's like, I need a break. So, yeah, we'd never do like a resort, but she's getting as close to resort Kristen as I've ever met. Mm. (laughs) You know, I've been really missing Brazil, and and uh, uh, I used to go. So, for our listeners, my mom's from Brazil, so uh, we went there quite often. Everyone knows that. Everyone, everyone who listens knows. Yeah, and. We had an apartment that we rented out part of the year, but we don't have that anymore as our family, whatever, long story. Um, so I never, I wasn't a tourist going there. It was nice. COVID happened, the apartment was sold, etc. So I haven't been back in four or five years, which is unusual. And I miss Rio a lot, but I'm also curious about other destinations. I'm like, oh, I've never been to Costa Rica, but then... Mm. I have this fear of being a tourist, and Rio is one place where I don't feel like a tourist. I mean, Costa Rica is pretty touristy. It's yeah, I, I, have this, I have this. I have this mental image of getting there, and then just a lot of advertising execs in linen outfits saying, "Oh yeah, let's make the world a better place." That that's my vision of of Costa Rica. Wow, that sounds better than the Costa Rica I've been to. Just kidding. <laughs> It sounds like a fantasy. Have you, have you, do you know people who work in advertising? I mean, I started my career in advertising. Oh, yeah. I've always, whenever I meet people who are a little bit higher up in advertising, they're always very vague. Mm, They're they're not like an emotion. Yeah. They're they're not like, what are you doing? Well, we're trying to increase revenue 12%. They don't say that. They're like, yeah, we're just, you know, we're, 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 we're working, we're feeling and we're being open and we're trying to read what it means to be human. And the reason for yeah. that is actually, it, it's, I know from the inside, the reason for that, because so you can do all these. But like, I, I don't mean literally yeah. like saying how, okay. what's the campaign, but more like someone sells their agency. Yeah. yeah and yeah. then it's like, I'm going to go to Bali for 12 years and reflect and mm-hmm. grow a man bun and then. Yeah, I I think some of those people are great. um, And, you know, you could compare them to great artists, you know, like, um, and some of them, yeah, bullshit their way into that space. Because I think similar to the way artists talk about their work, right? Like where you're talking about Mm. emotional territory, right? I feel like artists are more honest about... Not all artists. Come on. No, I don't know. It, It... yeah, it, it, maybe it's just my bubble, but it, when I meet advertising people, it's just sort of like mm-hmm. beating around the bush or something. Yeah. Anyways, um, we have a listener question. Sorry mm-hmm. for the, the, the not so cool segue. No, it's a good question. Uh, yeah, maybe it's a great could, question. Just my segue sucks. Yeah, well, I didn't, I didn't think so. Um, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> it's a question <laughs> from Hans. 
Hans, Hans a regular listener, a long-time supporter of the podcast. Yeah, Thank tentatively, you. tentatively, Hans asks possible questions. So, you know, is this a question or not? Up for debate. <laughs> Do you want to read it? I can read it, yeah. There's a French opening line here. Fin de carrière. Fin de carrière. It might be a taboo, but any thoughts on how artists in the last stage of their career stay relevant? It's something a lot of young and mid-career artists probably don't or want to realize. What to do when you still have 20 or 30 years to go, but you, your art and vision have become, quote-unquote, less relevant, and you find yourself slipping away in the background and falling off stage everywhere. <laughs> That's a tragic image. A, f- a friend artist announced officially the end of his career some years ago, but now is even more desperately trying to get back in the spotlight. So that seems like not a good idea. Pretend to be still young, mostly results also in very cringe situations, and so to be avoided. Well, that's potentially just an opinion. What could be some of the more elegant and wise moves for the older artists to at least have a slight feeling she's still part of the art scene world? How to age gracefully as an artist? Any examples? I love the picture of Matisse in his bed playing with pieces of colored paper. <laughs> in summary, how do you age gracefully as an artist? Yeah, maybe to fantasize how you would both imagine yourself as 80-year-old artists. Ooh, we're getting close. What do you think? Well, we're close to the singularity, so we're going to live forever. So this, is, <laughs> uh, this question, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, well, we've talked a lot on the podcast about it's, it's older artists. For me personally, it's very simple. Yeah. I love to work. I love doing it. It's so much fun. I don't care if anybody in the world likes my work. I just love to make it, and I I have to make it. I feel a very strong, intense energy. I have to do it. Mm -hmm. And if I don't do it, I'm so bored. I just want to pull my eyes out. And when I make work, I'm very excited and happy. So it's very simple for me. It's but like, the question of relevance here, like, do you, like, yeah, no, but that's totally well irrelevant. It, like, the, the, mm. the question of relevance is like a teenage girl putting a picture of her outfit on Instagram. What do you guys mm-hmm. think? You of know what's interesting about the relevance question, though, is like, it might have, like, who if cares? you're, well, who cares? Yeah. But also, like, it also presumes that your audience doesn't age with you, which I think is an interesting point. Yeah. But the, the whole question of validation should be removed. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's not easy and it's never perfect, but you should remove the question of validation because it is unconstructive, unproductive. It will mm-hmm. only hinder you. Yeah, but let's imagine you're like someone who is making work, but it, you know, and you were showing a lot. The show starts to like trail off. Yeah, you know, so you, what? Maybe, Maybe there's less money. I mean, so, so what? You, you love doing it. That's all that matters. Yeah. But then you would it. start to ask yourself some questions like, should no. I reinvent myself? Should I go back to the no. old thing? What do I do? I mean, I look, I made, I made digital art for a long time. Mm-hmm. Didn't sell anything. Was broke, whatever. But I love making it. So I keep making it. You know what? You're, yeah, one good Then point. the market yeah. goes sky high. And now the, the market yeah. is low again. And I haven't slowed down. Yeah, to, to, assume a, to assume a trajectory is kind of interesting too. Because like you and I are actually considered probably now like aging artists <laughs> like we're no, beyond mid-career i don't believe it I, I, look i think i'm that, just saying like most artists don't reach this don't continue i think for there as are all these I, I wish i could I, I wish i could explain it better but, but you can all, you have lots of time we have a whole we're hour we're all being conditioned 
that there are all these rules of life, and this is what you're supposed to do, and this yeah, is so how you're like supposed to Yeah, it's like a social order, yeah. You're supposed to have a catalogue raisonné. You're supposed to f be grateful to the collectors. Mm. You're supposed to have a studio. You're supposed to have a car. What, whatever society yeah. tells you. And you have to know that all of that is just shit being sold to you. So you have to grow really thick skin and decide yeah. what you want and not what people are selling you. And That's so, an interesting point. Yeah. I was, li I was listening to this podcast. Well, Lenny, I, I, I was just talking... To, yeah, sorry. Just, just to finish the thought, I was talking yeah. to someone who was teaching and having a hard time with students in art school... Mm. They're very demanding. What's new? What's new? And, and so I, I was saying, if for some reason I, I couldn't make money off of art sales, I would start an art school and it would be the no wimp art school or the get tough art school. But something mm. like you're doing this because you have fun doing it and the whole world just doesn't exist. You're getting tough on on. fun. It's not tough. It's Agnes Martin <laughs> said this thing. Like, I paint with my back to the world. Mm. you can't it's the only but, way you know it's very similar in brand um where like or like working in corporate world you'll often have people comparing doing comparable kind of stuff like we're not as good as the other guy and this is they're doing this and this is that. but the best companies and the best teams i've worked on just like relentlessly pursue an idea and yeah but, but companies are still they measure results, and I think as an artist, you, sh you shouldn't measure any results. You're I know, but that's the trap you can you can get into that corporate trap, and it's a trap in corporations as well. Yeah, but um, and you know the the thing I was going to cite was there's this book that's really popular. It's like a bestseller right now called The Pathless Path. Have you heard about it? But it, no. it's I was listening to a podcast with a guy talking about it, and he essentially was giving your pitch, and but he had an interesting. Um, an interesting exercise for the audience, which might be useful for our audience as well, which is like in the middle of your work day, and maybe that's a studio day, take a walk or go do something else for three hours. Like stop doing what you would normally do for three hours. Yeah, I, I have a feeling you're good at this Raph, by the way. And you know, if it's a walk, go on a walk and, and like reflect on what you feel. Now you're supposed to be at work. You're supposed to be in the studio. What do you feel? And if it's like guilt, he was like, you've got a problem <laughs> because mm. potentially you're not doing it for the right reasons um, because you're doing it out of conformity, like social conformity reasons, like to be a good yeah, worker. But, I work from nine to but five. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. It's just that you have to work. Well, he was like, do this in the middle of yeah. the day. Like, and so if you're, I honestly, it resonated with me because sometimes I'm like, do I have like some kind of Catholic guilt? No, I wasn't raised that way, but I was raised in like a small business family and like, I'm always working. And if I'm not making art, I also feel guilty. Um, and that's probably not a good feeling. I should, because I feel great. But, joy uh, I mean, art, I, you know? I, I remember this, this um, idea that uh, the question is, does creativity come from dissatisfaction of the world? So mm -hmm. in the end, with creativity, does it mean you're unhappy with the world as is, therefore you have to create something? And mm -hmm. uh, I thought of that. I thought that way in the beginning. Like, I thought ultimately, the source of creativity is is restlessness and unhappiness. So it's like a negative mm. uh, logic. You say, okay, here's the world. I don't like the way these buildings look. I want to make a better building. Yes. But the idea of inspiration is a, maybe a more positive approach, where you're like, I see these new materials and these opportunities, and I could create a building that would make people happy and would make life better and would be of interest to me. And I feel this energy that I want to do it. And that's 
great. But in the end, there's just some energy. And I, I think a lot of people, um, when we're browsing Netflix or going through Amazon, all these things, we're, mm. we're using our creative energy, our decision power. Yeah. And we're like, oh, I'm going to do a little research on what, what is the best uh, mm-hmm. at-home cinema setup. And I'm going to get really mm, cool. Oh, how, 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 could I, how could I make the sound better with this couch? And uh, I want to make the experience wonderful for my whole Don't family. Don't trash my Sonos purse- purchase. No, no, no. <laughs> just, I, I'm, I'm, just, just I'm the same. I, I finally you know, I have my dream stereo now, whatever. But yeah. that's creative energy. Mm-hmm. You have this desire to create this situation and to experience no movies doubt. better. Yeah. yeah. And I think everybody has creative energy all the time, and it's basically the, the basis of consumption. Mm-hmm. Like, but oh, it's, I could but it can also better. be channeled towards creation, is I think yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. And, and I think it's more rewarding. And so I noticed the, that, the like, idea, some people, if, if, you, yeah. if you've been given the gift that you are somewhat of an artist, not even that successful, whatever, but that you're a little bit above average, that's already enough reason to keep going, I think. Yeah. Like, well, one thing you, I've been trying to tap into recently If you're pretty good at jogging, is, why wouldn't you go jogging? Well, you know, the thing, of your comment about misery, though, like sometimes I think people put a lot of energy into complaining, which sound, this make me sound like some kind of like Gen X, <laughs> shaming millennials and Gen Z. But like, I noticed that people will get really emotionally invested in frustrations about other people. Um, including yourself, actually, if we <laughs> think about it, and myself, and I have to catch myself because I always yeah, think yeah, of it yeah. as this no, huge. No, it's a like, constant um, uh, practice. Yeah. But then, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, if I sunk sunk this much energy into my into creating so in to creating something, wouldn't that be great? And by the way, this this is management philosophy, so I shouldn't, <laughs> I should should have caveated that there's a management philosophy that that's wasted energy, and that if you there's both you know reactive and creative modes. And re- you really want to do is move out of that. That's called a reactive mode. If you're like, oh, this sucks. Those people are terrible, blah, blah, blah. And it's one of the easiest ways to feel good about yourself. But it's also a real tax on your so energy. Like feeling good by putting other people down. Yeah. Like putting basically. other people down is basically secretly giving yourself compliments. Yeah. And I think that's a trap. So I'm, I practice this daily. This is a big part of who I am. So like, I don't know if I've shared that on the podcast, but like you do have to like, practice being positive about the world like I do anyway like um, diligently like a muscle and when I do that I find I'm in a way better place where a blank page is not intimidating it's like you said it's an opportunity like another person succeeding is not my it doesn't hurt me it helps me Um, and so versus like resenting others for success or criticizing that they didn't do as the way you wanted it um, and this, that this, people yeah. didn't understand your work and you put so yeah. much energy into it and no one knows how cool you are. Yeah. And so people are often like, how are you so positive even when things are bad? And I was like, well, what's the alternative that I also feel miserable, <laughs> yeah. but it yeah. does require diligent effort. And I think as you get older, things don't always work out the way you'd like. So you get to that middle age crisis. But or I, whatever. Think, I think the, the idea that art should be ranked and that yeah, of uh, course. Yeah. That 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 there's a hierarchy and there's a market and there's museums that decide who's in and who's out. Yeah, but no doubt, like the that scene makes it hard. Like that's being, yeah. that's hard for the human psyche to deal with, and then it's to super hard, see yeah. see all these intimidating, towering figures of art history, and then like, oh, what can I contribute? 
Also, it's like hard to slip out of a scene, but like often a scene just evaporates because everyone has kids and, you know, gets a job or whatever. So um, it's hard. Like, I think there is reinvention. Like you can't, whether, like, I think you're just great at this. So you take it for granted, but you've reinvented yourself, even though you've been consistent with the style of work you do. You've told me this explicitly, and I think you've mentioned it on the podcast, like, you still have this kind of R&D effort that you put in to like, okay, what's the next thing? Oh, maybe I could try that, you know? So you're always moving. Um, you're never staying the same. And I think like part of the question here that's maybe troubling um, or Well, this idea of, of not being relevant. It, yeah, uh, but that's only like, that's relative to yourself versus to a scene. Like time and scenes will move on regardless yeah, of what you're doing. For sure. But you, you still have to reinvent and do new things and but you don't have find to reinvent. Energy. there's great artists that did the same thing for 40 years well they might have done variations on a thing though but yeah. like very few that did a, like just a, the red painting well i guess morandi there's Ankawara. is morandi is the example of this making still lives of bottles his whole of life. course they're yeah they're good examples um yeah and well we've also talked about great examples of just like artists who didn't hit on their special thing until late in life or who lived a long time yeah life but I remember seeing the Agnes Martin retrospective show at the Guggenheim and the Guggenheim has this spiral architecture. And so you move up and it's a chronological. Yeah, it's garbage. It's the worst. No, I love <laughs> it. But <laughs> okay. anyway, you follow her work and it just keeps changing and changing, but a little bit and a little bit. And it gives you such joy to see someone who just kept being curious. What if I try this? What if I try this? I, and and what I mean by curiosity is that you feel this energy mm -hmm. and then you feel like, I want to try this variation. It's almost like you had chocolate, you had chocolate cake yesterday and now you go back to that restaurant and I, I want to try the passion fruit mousse. Yeah, what and, I think I love most about that is it's, it's like evidence of... Um, conquering the voice of self-doubt right because like why not try it but like, the voice of self-doubt is comes is conditioned so you you have to because children don't have it mm -hmm. children when they make drawings they they don't think about whether their drawing is going to change art history or is going to sell yeah, or whatever yeah, they're just yeah. having fun drawing so that's all it is is you just want to be a kid and you have the right to have fun so it's really that simple yeah, like, I mean, like you wouldn't tell your children, don't do that. Eve Klein already used that blue. You can't use that blue. Well, question for you then, I guess, is like, um, we haven't talked about your painting studio. That's kind of like a new, uh huh. New, how, how's that going? Oh, I'm having a lot of fun. It's uh, um, but any paintings? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I have two and a half. I'm, my plan is to do two per week. And then uh, mm. in a year, I should have a hundred of them. I'd like to buy half a painting from you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But um, like I'm, learning, I'm learning a lot. I'm, I'm just uh, like trying all kinds of surfaces and treatments and mixes. And uh, uh, it, I, I would say it's more manufacturing than mm -hmm. it feels being an artist. It's, it's more like a car workshop. But like it sounds it to you, to me, like there's a little bit of research involved in it, just in terms yeah. of it's a whole, whole new area, and you're like, oh, how does this work? What is yeah, going, yeah. What's going like on I, I, I made some mistakes even handling the canvases, and now some of them have dents in them, and I have to get them restretched or I have to get someone to help me. But I'm learning a lot. I have, to, I have a lot to learn. Yeah. No, it's interesting because like um, 
after the last podcast, uh, one of our friends, Cass Fino Radden, sent me a message and they were like, hey, Jeremy, I think you should get into modular synthesis. Mm. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, because yeah. of the, you know, you were talking about you should get a synthesizer, do sound stuff. And that is a really fun thing. By the way, I've been like on like a two, like a, well, a week long rabbit hole, like watching tutorials online. And I was like, and it's actually kind of exciting because I teenage pre- engineering make a small one. They do like a, you can get started with, but it's kind of like it's not fully modular. It's like yeah, but a hybrid I, modular. But it's a good way to get started. I think maybe yeah. Um, but it's it, it was immediately intuitive. You'd be to like me. Uh, Kristen. I don't think this Caribbean thing is going to work out. I got myself a modular synth. You have to build that them all yourself, including the teenage engineering one, which also excites yeah. me. Like it's like Lego yeah. for yeah. yeah adults. But I, I mean. The, the, the counter argument would be if you're doing art and you're just dreading doing it, you're having no fun whatsoever, it's costing you a shit ton of money, you're bored, mm-hmm. well, maybe then you should play tennis. The bored thing, I think, is probably what we're talking about here. Like some people hit a dead end at some point and then the the urge to reinvent comes from how do I get back to that energy that I had when I was a younger artist and everyone was like, you're, you're amazing. You're like breaking new ground. It's incredible. You're yeah, but what, young if, what if you don't have to be amazing? That's my thesis. No, here. I think that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what if it, like, what if mediocrity was your goal? <laughs> no. What if th- doing the thing is more important than the result? Well, certainly like Andy Kaufman probably, you know, ha- I mean, I, I should speak off the cuff about Andy Kaufman. I should read a biography or something. But obviously, as a comedian who made comedy that wasn't funny to a lot of people, there was a certain like belief in the craft of being bad. <laughs> also, that, a, a belief that there's a a small group of people who will get it, but most people don't. And he was okay yeah. with that. No, but that's what I mean. Like, so in terms of like, you know, how we position popularity within the spectrum of a career. I've always liked the expression, you know, I think it comes from music of you play for the fans who show up, you know, not for the mm. ones who don't. Yeah, yeah. And the reason I like that is because I've had to perform for one person. Yeah. But actually like some of those events have been some of the most memorable in my career because I did really connect authentically with and that person. And it's a hundred percent. I remember, um, in Amsterdam, there's a concert hall venue called the Paradiso. Mm. Have you been there? In Amsterdam? Yeah, it's an old church that I think oh, at some point yeah. was a squat and now it's a concert hall. Yeah, I know where it is, but I haven't seen a performance there. It's great. Yeah. And then um, they have a smaller uh, concert stage upstairs and the big room is downstairs. And upstairs was a punk band playing. I was there with my friends, but the door to downstairs was open. And Little John was performing. I don't know if you remember him. He was Lil, like, Lil John or Little John? Yeah, the one, he, he, Lil John, he always said, okay, yeah. and what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the window to the wall. That yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> anyway, what? D- Dave Chappelle <laughs> did a lot of sketches yeah. on it. Uh, so he's performing and that venue is not really a hip hop venue, but they booked him and there was just maybe 20 people in the room and he was probably used to having at least 5,000 people. So he was very annoyed and very pissed. You could tell. He's like, what the fuck? What? And like, and he was making the people who were there feel really bad. But mm. those were his fans. Those were the people who did show up. You can be mad at the people that didn't show up. But yeah. And so maybe what it is, is, is like little John was disappointed. But someone else would have been thrilled to play for 20 people. 
Yeah, I've told this story about, that's a great story. Like, I mean, I've told this story about Carolee Schneeman and going boot shopping with her before. <laughs> but she was late in her career. Like, um, she was in her 60s or early 70s when I met her. And I was at grad school in Syracuse. She's deceased now, RIP. But she's like, I need some new boots. And, you know, we spent the day together shopping for boots. And I asked her about her career and how things were going. And she's like, not good. It's been like 30 years of a dry spell. Um, you know, and uh, I'm out almost out of money. I'm going to go uh, stay with my friend in Montreal because I have nowhere to live. And I was like, wow, like, how could someone so famous, like Carly Schneeman, who like introduced the world really to performance. Such an icon. Such an icon of the 1960s and 70s performance art. And... Then a couple years later, or maybe it was like five or ten years later, suddenly there was this huge Carolee Schneeman like retrospective, and then all of the museums all over the yeah. world started to do a tour exactly. of Carolee Schneeman. And this and like, question of relevance, yeah. Yeah, and suddenly she was the most relevant artist in the world for like right up until she died. And even when she died, there was like a big hullabaloo obviously about that too. But it was Reminded me also probably Namjoon Pike. I don't think, you know, he the 90s were his peak era, right? Like, but yeah. by the time he died in 2010, he's considered like the godfather of of media art, right? So um, the the question of relevance is not one of, I, this is where I was saying earlier, the trajectory. Well, it could, it's yeah. up and down. And, who, and it's outside of your control. Like, Carly had no idea. It wasn't like a studio visit that suddenly broke through and, you know, she made it again. That- yeah, the, the artist uh, Seth Price wrote a novel, a sort of book about art making, and that there are four motivators for artists. Mm. If I remember correctly, there's like lifestyle, the idea of freedom, social climbing, the craft, and maybe intellectual validation, something like that. Let's say it's those four. Mm-hmm. And so those motivators, everybody has... For one, the making and the fun of making is 10%. For the other, it's 70% of the story. But I I do think that if you just love the act of making, you've already won. Like You, you don't have to wait for a prize. You've already received your prize, which was making it. So this idea that you need a prize after making it, that you need someone to tap you on the head and say, oh, you did a good job. Yeah. It's... Not something you can live without, but you can minimize it. I think maybe that starts with when you're young, though. Like, if I think about my own life, my parents were very encouraging from an early age. You know, and I've heard from other people that their parents maybe weren't as encouraging. And, like, they were almost, you know, had to, like, rebel to become an artist. Um, my parents were disappointed when I took a job outside of being an artist alone. But who, who taught you this money anxiety thing? Um, I think it was like, cause my parents were, you know, on the edge of bankruptcy when I was in the, when I was in my but teen years. What I never understood about you is that you seem to not worry about, uh, showing off your lifestyle or presenting yourself as rich or anything like that. So that's not a priority. So you, you would be happy with little. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I just yeah. like. That's the that's the big Jeremy mystery. The oh, why am I anxious about money? But I, I yeah, I, I really you're don't anxious, spend you're anything. You're anxious. I don't know if you're anxious about money, but you you feel safer with more money. I mean, that you're a human. I think it's a natural instinct. Yeah. Yeah, but some people have it more than others. But at the same time, you have an impulse of like, you come from a culture also of video art. Oh, it's cool to live with very little. And 
Well, I, I have told the story. Like I, when I was in art school, I I found it very offensive that I was told I ha- I was going to be poor whether I liked it or not. Like that that was the lesson. Like one day in class, and I was like, "How dare you?" Like assume like you. They're like, "You can't own a home. Artists don't have children. You won't be able to afford that." But you don't have children. Home. Yeah, I made that choice. Well, that's <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. This is the funny thing. You're like, yeah. who are you to tell me? Da yeah. da 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 da. But I mean, you you have you have real estate and a car, whatever. But I feel like you would be just as happy with a, a social housing apartment. And yeah, I think if so, if tomorrow someone was like, "Here's your cabin. Here's there's a little computer and a notepad in it." But no more like, job. But like, you don't have to worry about anything else. Like you'll you know we'll yeah. just we'll bring a little meal in once a day. Like I mean, theoretically, residency. you could you could inherit your parents' cabin and live with next to nothing. I need that person to bring that little meal in once a day. Or maybe I have a little cooktop. They deliver ingredients. I could fish. (laughs) I think I would be satisfied. I I think there's a a film, The Happy People of the Taiga or something like that. Oh, yeah, I've seen that, yeah. I think Werner Herzog produced it. Someone else made it or something. And it's these people living in ice-cold situation in The ship, like a little boat, arrives once a year to deliver goods. And they're so happy. (laughs) They're much happier. Yeah, yeah I've fantasized about that quite often. I did meet someone recently who lives off grid, and I was like, "What? You did it? How did you do it?" And he works, <laughs> but he works in software, so I was like, "It's not really off grid." Like, okay, you spend it's all your time on the computer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's no, like, I, you know. I, I have to say, uh, maybe it's easy for me to say, just have fun making it because mm-hmm. things are working out for me. Yeah, um, and I've never been happier making my work. Yeah, and we've like this is this podcast now is becoming like a survey of ones of a, of two lives. <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, fantasizing about us being eighty year olds doing this would be interesting to continue the podcast to that extent. But uh, oh, oh, that that was something I wanted to say about this whole mm. thing. So, I have this theory or this intuition that uh, doing creative work keeps you young; it keeps the brain active. So. There's something about retiring that I think oh, yeah. is, is uh, yeah we've talked about you, that you you get old faster when you retire like there's, there's something of, yeah there's about the feeling of of being alive and being vital and being uh, part of something and 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 having a goal and and having a purpose and a direction and all these things and because I picture uh, let's say if you picture the Rolling Stones or you know, Elvis died young, but most musicians, you think of them and you picture them in your head and you see them as, as age 25. Mm. But when you picture Picasso or um, Frank Gehry or uh, any famous architect or any famous visual artist, you, Monet, whatever, you always think of them as in their older stage of life. It's mm, true. And there's, so there's something about music, especially pop music, that's around teenage energy. Youthful, yeah youthful and then later on you sort of live off the fame of your teenage years except for like leonard cohen or yeah. like tom waits uh, yeah 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 but then with art i think it's this great area where it is cool to be old and to continue and it keeps you young and uh, energized and it's such a great thing like i feel like the the best years are at the end so to give up mm. you're, you're gonna miss on the on dessert you know, it's interesting too, just to look at the careers of some of, you You know, you were mentioning outside of the arts, like one that comes to mind that I've mentioned before is Steve Martin, who quit 
comedy, like stand-up comedy, on stage as the most attended comedian in at the history. At the peak, yeah. At the peak, yeah. So he quit at the very, very top, and I think he still might be at the top. Maybe it's close. But then he now. started doing movies after that? And then he started doing movies, but now you know, now he does TV But the shows. movies were very successful. He had a I band remember. for a while. You know, he Do did, you remember the movies a, in the 80s? That, where he has the yeah, big nose? Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, well, Roxanne, yeah. And but The he, Jerk. Yeah. The Jerk, yeah. And he also like um, had a banjo band. You know, released an album, then Blue became Chris. an art collector. He's been one of the top art collectors in the world. Well, he was an art collector already early on. Yeah. Yeah. But just what I'm saying is like the diversity of one's career also. And like now the, he has a hit show on Hulu. Yeah. Maybe this comes back to my reinvention point, but the, the I think curiosity drives someone like that. Also, like fame, if that was his only goal, he would have just stayed famous. But in the book, the Born Standing Up, which I love his book, I highly recommend it. He talks about how he realized he wasn't really telling new jokes and people weren't showing up to see his new jokes. All they were there to do was to celebrate the jokes that he, you know, his early stuff that he, he had already mastered. But he, and, I, I, he does come across in his comedy as someone who's very obsessed with the, uh, the results and not with just enjoying making the next joke in the next joke. And I don't know. No. I don't know. I mean, may, or like as compared to his like partner, Martin Short, I think it's funny that those two get paired yeah. together and kind of roll through life. Martin Short, another example of a comedian who peaked in the 80s and somehow <laughs> was like still on like late night television, you know, with so much energy and clearly joy. Robin Williams probably right up until he died. There's something in comedians generally, maybe it comes back to that positivity thing we were talking about earlier, but like the interest in laughing and connecting with other people. Like we haven't talked about, you know, you mentioned the brain, you know, kind of ceases to operate well after you stop working, but also after you stop socializing. Hmm. And um, I know you're always like, oh, Jeremy, don't tell yeah. it, you know, don't bring up the like, it's who you know, not what you know. But really like having <laughs> friend a friend group, like if I didn't have you, like being engaged uh, with a friend group does really help spur me creatively. It's not everyone's motivation, but it yeah, is. Yeah, no, uh, for sure. Yeah. And, and, but, um, I don't know if it's, let's say that the idea of the Sunday painter, and so you, you, mm -hmm. you, you get your canvas on the weekend and you, you do it for fun. Um, why would you ever stop doing that if you enjoy it? No, it's true. My grandmother did that right up until the day she died. She was yeah. painting pi pictures of Smurfs, like yeah. Smurfs Village. <laughs> yeah. Do you have one of them in your home? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, my well, my parents do. I want to get it because it's like it is an example. Like you know, because I come from a, a family of artists and designers, and so the, it was always just around. But like, yeah, my grandparents were like my grandfather. The last thing he did in my life, the, like the last time I visited him, was he's like, I wrote a song. And I was like, what? You wrote a song? What is it about? And it's like it's a love song, and it's like. He sang it for me. I've I recorded it. We can play it on you know the field recording if we want, but it's like about having only having eyes for you. And he he told he could he was senile at that point by the way. Like so he didn't have a good memory of anything. Maybe when still you're senile, you're more, you're more less inhibited creatively. Yeah, like he could barely feed himself, but he wrote a song about love. And yeah. so um, I don't know. I found that very touching. And that was you know just a few weeks before he passed away. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm. I think the last few years have just been uh, an incredible, 
create a feeling of just constantly being happy and excited. Uh, mm -hmm. And I thought it was because of NFT success, but I still feel that way. And just having a lot of fun. And then for someone to say, oh, maybe I want to quit because it's not relevant. It's just something that right now is very far from my state of mind. So it's, I'm just, uh, there's nothing better. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, it does, you're making me sad right now, though, because as I was talking about my grandparents, I thought about my father. And, you know, he stopped being, he has Alzheimer's and he stopped being creative. And I've, I've urged him to be creative, and, mm. but he doesn't seem to have the motivation to do it. And it's like... Does um, he, like my father stopped painting, but he plays guitar every day. Mm -hmm. So there's not really... Um, but I think he's kind missing of, this. Like, because he's... Yeah. Like he's still a funny, jovial person. A lot of his personality is still there, but he's, you know, it's having, he has trouble communicating. And I, I really have this belief that if he could reconnect with his creativity, he was creative for, you know, 90% I mean, of his really, life. It's really hard when you, you can have confidence in someone else. It's yeah. much easier to have confidence in someone else than in yourself. And so you can That's tell people, you're, you're such a wonderful person and your personality is so unique and you have all these abilities and yeah. if you could just connect them and sit down and just do it. I and Yeah. I know. I'm just sad because <clears throat> I think you always, ref you know, you kind of, you, there's a bit of narcissism in watching your parents age, right? You're like, will that be me, right? And so the question of, that Hans asks, yeah, Hans, why are you asking us these questions? But like, how do you imagine yourself as an 80 year old artist, like I, you know, I definitely want to believe that I won't give up that, that but I won't it, lose that yeah, spark I, I think there's something specific uh, about a creativity that's different than sports. And mm -hmm. so it's clear with sports, you oh, can't yeah, your body play, ages out. Yeah. You, you can't play American football when you're yeah. 90. That it's just not a good idea. You'd be concussed too. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's something so incredible about cooking and writing mm. and, anything playing organ or a banjo or whatever you want to do um I, yeah it 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 really is to me the uh, the most interesting thing about the, or what makes humans very human is this curiosity yeah and i think one of the good points you often make is like or you make, you started the podcast which is like society tries to cleanse you of that urge oh yeah you know? like don't play don't be enjoy useful. yourself be useful yeah, be go useful. fix the be, garage yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. Paint the trim, you know, like uh, get the roof fixed. Yeah. Being uh, being creative is embarrassing. You shouldn't do it. That's for mm -hmm. kids. Spends all his day in the basement, you know, <laughs> working on his wood, wood shop stuff, you know, yeah. or whatever. Like there's all of these um, stereotypes or tropes that you're familiar with. All the, you know, my grandfather was he, uh, my other grandfather, he just read all the time. My grandma was like, all he does is read. But you must have like been transported and the amount of reading he did was, in, it was actually quite absurd. Like it was always, <laughs> but like, how could, why would we be critical of someone else's place of peace and enjoyment? You know, um, we should all be so lucky to find that. Yeah. yeah. That obsession. Yeah. Anyway. Um, interesting question. Yeah. I, I, I think, um, there's this, there's a band, uh, a New York hardcore band called Agnostic Front and the guitar player is this legend in the, if you like that style of music mm -hmm. and he's a very happy guy and the interviewer was like why are you so happy he's like I do what I want 
I, you mm. know, I do what I want every day and I don't do what I don't want to do. And I don't ask anyone to do something they don't want to do. That was his answer. It's like, yeah, just do what you feel like. Yeah, if you yeah. can make it work, make it work. Yeah. 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 Anyway, like last point here maybe I'll make is like, I remember when I was 25 or something, I was in grad school, must have been about that age. Someone said to me, you know, Jeremy, if you don't make it by the time you're 30, it's all over. <laughs> yeah, and that I, kind of stupid shit. But you know what's it's, so stupid about that is like, yeah. I've had a career longer than that, three times longer than that on the other side of 30. <laughs> I've heard that like, oh, if you don't make it in two and a half years, it's never going to happen. And this kind of absurd. Yeah, it's so stupid. So yeah. sorry, and, Hans, and, and, your and question's the stupid. <laughs> and the same, the same kind of stupidity is like, um, you have an idea for something and the first th thing someone says is, oh, that's never going to work. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. stupid. Yeah. That's stupid. Don't even start on it. Like, yeah. it's not possible. But, but my point is, if Someone you, else has already if done you invent a game mm -hmm. in which there are no rules and nothing is measured, but you Sounds enjoy like playing the game. Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, anyway. Well, yeah, I, that's the way. That's the premise. I, I, I don't know if... Uh, Drawing is for everyone, but I enjoy it. You're still, you have a sketchbook still out, right? I just yeah, bought yeah. a new sketchbook because I was like, why am I not sketching? Yeah, why not? But I, I guess you're going to be sketching sounds with the, the, your synth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I'm, yeah, I'm going to be... Yeah, Maybe you should get a theremin. Maybe that's more your vibe. Well, that kind of makes me cringe. Like, speaking of cringe, like, that would be like Jeremy reinvents himself as a theremin artist. Why, why, don't, you, why don't you take cringe to the next level? I mean, I do, Matt, I, that is my craft. So I mean, it, it, you you're not could wrong. say like, but it's, it's a good example. It's like, okay, I want to be relevant. What does relevant mean? It means if you make If you make people feel so awkward, they can't even look at you. Maybe that's the most relevant thing that the, you can imagine. Well, honestly, that's my, like, that's my form. That's been my formula for my whole creative career. Is yeah. Because if, if it makes me burst out laughing, it usually makes someone else like, this crawl you saw taxi driver right the, the mm -hmm, yeah. movie. there's a scene where he he goes on a date but he takes the girl to an adult theater and she's appalled and she leaves and then the next day he calls her and thinking like hey what did you think of the date and obviously she doesn't want to talk to him so she's like please don't call me and he's talking on the phone and the camera pans away from robert de niro and you you feel like even the camera is is so appalled and feeling so much cringe that it can't be close to De Niro and has to remove itself. And so that I guess that's what you're trying to do with your work. Well, personally, I started out doing that stuff because I really liked the aesthetics of failure. So you talked about like yeah. a lot of times you're like, it won't work. But that's a, like, this is a very good point because why isn't failing? Uh, yeah. Why, why, why do we have to succeed when we're creative? Well, my whole idea was like, yeah, I'll just, it's kind of a startup idea, fail fast, right? But like that I would make failure fun. Uh, and it and it is, yeah. it still is to this day. Like, and But also usually, uncomfortable yeah. for some people. Yeah. So, you know, if you saw me perform and there was like, a, you know, something broke, like you should know that that was planned, but I, but also unplanned. Like there would be like, from my perspective, that was the best outcome. But... That yeah, for me maybe that was just like a, a way of coping with everything. <laughs> how hard it was. Well, maybe uh, you're just being is. honest about how you felt. 
Well, that, yeah, I'm, and I'm not using the past tense intentionally, but it, um, I still, because I still do that type of thing, but a little less probably. It, it was really, really important to me early on as a way of fumbling the ball intentionally as, and getting over the idea that I had to be the greatest yeah. or the best, right? Yeah. The whole point was to be the worst. Um, well, and, and yeah. it was interesting when uh, AR became mainstream with Snapchat filters and you were thinking, well, what do I do now and how do I position myself in that ecosystem? Yeah, well, that was a crisis for me. I should have said yeah. that up front because like, I was like, oh, now everyone... Like first now of all, I said, access to these tools. Yeah, yeah, and so it's like, do I really have anything to contribute? I've, I, I'm still doing like I like I'm posting. But at the same time, you could be like, I'm I, I'm able to misuse these tools more than anyone else. Yeah, and that, I actually have a statement that is like I you know about misuse. That's my whole premise, like misusing the tool. That's mm -hmm. how you have power over it, because otherwise yeah. the tool is really like kind of using you, and it's more of a machine. But if you misuse it... But do you it, feel that way when you're using a pencil? Well, misusing a pencil is like an artistic strategy. A lot of, you know, yeah. people who draw, you know, learn how to use it. And then mastering is crossing the threshold from doing it the right way to doing it your own way. And that's the process of true true mastery is like misuse. But that's my perspective, whether you share yeah. it or not. But like, you know, well, I'm, I'm looking forward to your uh, misused <laughs> soundscapes. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to as well. So like, stay tuned for some cringeworthy music. <laughs> Maybe I'll catch... Exactly. Uh, do you remember Kevin Blechtum, the the YouTube musician? Well, they're a musician, no. but they also did like YouTube videos. Their whole thing was... I loved Kevin Blechtum because it was like... They would do like Whitney Houston, but really out of tune, and they would yell, mm. and it was completely atonal. These were early YouTube videos. Yeah, they but they also perform live. I just found them on YouTube early on. Um, it's worth looking up and seeing if uh, okay. that stuff's still around. But it, there's yeah. such a thing as being bad, being good at being bad, and Kevin Blackman <laughs> was a master. Well, there's also something about having fun, and uh, it sounds like <laughs> yeah. they yeah. were having fun. Anyway, okay, I look forward to our painting, our bad painting and bad synthesizer show <laughs> coming soon. <laughs> We can do a, a gallery. theater near you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll put it in a movie theater and no one will be there. It'll just be like an empty movie theater. And I, the, the field recording this week, are we oh going to yeah. do... Do you have that song or should we do the one we talked about? Let me see if I have it. Um, actually, it might take me a second to look it up. But you, you think you have access to it? I think so. Okay, well then you can introduce the field recording and I'll, I'll stick it in the mix. Okay, if, well, it's either, yeah, it's either we have it or we don't. And if we do, that's what you're going to hear. If we don't, what? We're going to hear nothing? <laughs> Cliffhanger. <laughs> Cliffhanger, yeah. See what I can do. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Here, Jeremy. I was going to record it. Record it for us. Do, do, do. Testing. Grandpa Ernie's. <laughs> Is there someone in your eyes? Ready? There you go. <laughs> oh dear. Sing it. This is it. This is the big recital. Oh, put it on the sing internet. It. Come on. <laughs> oh, I couldn't do that. Okay, well, don't right. sing it. Recite it. Maybe just sing, say it as a poem. Is there someone in your eyes, the one that you adore? Is that someone in your eyes, in your heart? Is it he you're thinking of? Is it he you're longing for? Do you need him near you to make more to part? Do you need him so? Would you let him go? Could you say you have his picture in your heart? 
Is there someone in your eyes? The one that you adore. Is there someone in your eyes? Oh, I forget now. No, <laughs> that's yeah. going to make it into the lyric sheet. <laughs> oh, I forget now. <laughs> Fantastic. That's great. Now we'll have that globally all over the internet. <laughs> You'll be famous like that woman on that... Was that British woman who was on that song on that show? Oh, on X Factor. Oh, no, and she no. sang yeah, that song. Yeah. Do you watch? Does Britain's TV Got Talent? Britain's Got Talent.